This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. In these COVID careful days, this service was held outside. We hope you were able to appreciate the sound of the birds and the dogs, as well as the passing trucks and cars. The message of God's word is still clear and audible. Our second reading comes from Luke, Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11, the first four verses. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. Let us pray. Jesus, we ask that the word that you spoke would become like a fire and like a light and like water washing us and that we would receive living word. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. On average, how many times a day do you check your newsfeed? We <laughs> we've got one over here. We've got ten. Do I have another the higher number than ten? All right. I probably check it every half hour or so. And there's a reason. It's because there is so much crisis around us. We have a changing environment. We've got stakes that are sinking with the volume of ill people. We have confused messaging from the top. We have what is Time Magazine cover that's coming out and Fortune's cover, a planet in crisis. This is the deciding year. We have the pandemic, which requires us to change and schools to change. About every three days, we have some new news regarding the future. It creates a restlessness that we now carry within us. And I would dare to say that we really don't know the way out. I believe that we're experiencing a little bit of what those miners in Chile experienced 10 years ago. It was August the 5th, 2010, when 33 miners experienced a cave-in in the tunnel that was 2,000 feet below Earth's surface. They had no com- uh, conviction 
that anyone could or would try to rescue them. There was uh, author Hector Tobar in his book, Deep Down Dark, describing what happened. Miles of tunnel and yet only one really room for them to gather. They named it the refuge. And there was one miner, Don Jose Henriquez, who turned to the oldest miner, Mario, and said in a whisper, God is the only way out of this. Mario spoke loudly to all the miners in the refuge, saying, Don Jose Henriquez, you are a Christian man. Will you now lead us in prayer? Will you? We need you to lead us in prayer. And it was from that moment that Henriquez became known as El Pastor, the pastor. Because when he began to pray, it was apparent to everyone that he knew how to speak to God. He dropped to his knees and he said to all the miners, get on your knees, that's the way to speak to the Creator. And he began to pray. We aren't the best men, O oh Lord, but have pity on us. He was aware of Victor. Victor was among the miners. He drank too much. He was aware of Sergio. Sergio had a flashpoint temper. He was aware of Pedro, who had left his little girl's mother and had never gone back to visit his little girl, aware that it was cutting her heart in two. So Henriquez prayed, Jesus Christ, our Lord, let us enter into the sacred throne of your grace. Consider this moment of difficulty. We are sinners and we need you. We want you to make us stronger. Help us in this hour of need. There's nothing that we can humanly do without your help. Please take charge of this situation. Please, Lord, take charge of this. 33 miners, 2,000 feet below Earth's surface, learned how to pray. And in our passage today, we will find that prayer begins with a sense of longing. We will see that God confirms his presence through prayer. And we will see that Jesus helps us to pray. Prayer begins with a sense of longing. We heard it in verse 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, most of us were taught to pray as children. Let's test it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Ask Joyce Davis. She has a much more positive version that she prays. How about 
How about God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. We learn to pray as children. One child was taught the Lord's Prayer and was overheard saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, how do you know my name? <laughs> the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray because they'd seen him slip away in the early hours of the morning before the sun was up and be by himself with his father in prayer. They'd watched at the end of a day, a busy day, when he, Jesus, lingered in prayer while they went off to prepare their meal and get ready for bed. Every important decision and every significant event in Jesus' ministry was preceded and followed by prayer. I challenge you. Read it. Do a tally. See if he's not found in prayer before or after everything. Because that is his signature of ministry. He was in complete communion with the Father. He was aware of the Father. And he found it interactive. It was sustaining. It was intimate. In fact, what the disciples watched is that Jesus acted more at home in prayer than at any other time. And they wanted what he had. It amazed them. I don't know if you feel that you are at home with God in prayer. What is it like for you? I know that for me, prayer has been the hardest part of being a Christian. I can believe, I can understand, I can talk about, but prayer, woo, that's the hard part. You know, it's almost like we feel that when we're talking to God, we have a performance that he's asking of us. Many of us get stage fright. And it's awkward. We don't really know what words to use. And we feel very, very vulnerable. So it is that when we compare our lives with Jesus, our prayers with his, that we recognize we're restless and unsatisfied. One of the greatest sentences ever written was by Augustine in the fifth century. And he wrote, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You, you have made us for yourself. That's the fact. Therefore, we are restless because we subjectively experience that we're not at home. If you, if you feel like you are a uh, homing pigeon, it's because you are. And the way home to the heart of God is prayer. The disciples longed for it. They had a spokesman say, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you have that longing as well?
That's where prayer begins. The second thing we learn in this is that God confirms his presence through prayer. Really, this is so beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament with the tabernacle. Tabernacle is a moving home. Now, we know what a moving home is. In the 21st century, it's an RV. So it would be God's RV with the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And it was truly God's presence. Above the tabernacle, there was a cloud during the day and fire at night. It was a tent and it was made of beautiful leather and on the inside were curtains woven of purple dyed wool with embroidered gold. It was how you got close to God. And when Jesus in uh, John chapter 1 verse 14 is described as the word of God, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is tabernacled. He's moving his home in with us. He's right with us, right there. So I would like to take you on a walk through the tabernacle. If we knew our sin, we would come with an animal into the outer tent court area and we would present to the priest an animal that would be killed in front of us, substituting the animal for our sin. The priest then would burn that animal on a fire in an altar and wash his hands in a laver, which is a shallow bowl on a pedestal. And then the priest would go in through this veil, this heavy curtain that allowed no outside light in, He'd go into this holy holy place and in the holy place there was a, a small altar with incense going up to signify prayers that never stopped the only light inside that tent was a golden candlestick with seven lamps always lit never going out you think of jesus the light of the world you think of uh, on the table out in this inside this tent there were pieces of Bread, showbread is what it's called. They're flatbreads. You think of Jesus being the bread of life. But you still were not in the presence of God. He was too holy. Once a year, the high priest would go in with blood that he put on his ears that were from the blood of sacrifices for the people and for himself, the sin of people and himself. He goes in to the inner space, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was gold, and on the Ark was the mercy seat, where God himself sits in mercy in his judgment. Inside the Ark is the law and the jar with manna to show God's provision. And the priest would pray in the presence of God. That is the veil which centuries later was in the temple, which was what Herod built in Jerusalem. And when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn.
you see that the blood of the lamb, Jesus, opened for the entire world access to the presence of God. God's like, now, <laughs> here I be. Here I am. This is me. You can come now. I'm going to preview for you what we're going to be doing in the fall in the book of Revelation. It's the last, next to the last book is, for God himself is on his throne, and all God's people are on his lap. Now, he says, at last, God's home is with people. Jesus was at home with God, and that is our privilege. But too many have been given and taught a Christian faith, which is in belief only. It's in a, it's in a, I believe that God is present everywhere, I believe that he loves me. I believe that he has forgiven my sins. But I practice as if I'm a functional atheist. The way I talk, what I do with my time, what I see, what I hear, how I live my life, it's as if God wasn't there. It's as if God didn't really care. It's as if God's not that powerful or good. So that is one way in which we can live with the, the presence of God in theory only, but not in an actual experience. The heart of the Christian message is that God himself is waiting for us and that we are to push past that last veil to be in the presence of God. And that is through prayer. So Jesus helps us to pray. That is what his disciples ask. Lord, teach us to pray. If you read the sentence in English, it's plain. If you read it in the original language, it's plain. It's an infinitive. Teach us to pray, not how to pray. Don't teach us to do it. Isn't that the problem? Just help us do it. Not because if you are like me, you find it's so much easier to just worry. It's so much easier to complain. It's so much easier to get distracted and try to fix something or just put it out of your mind than to take a thought and turn it into a prayer. So Lord, teach us to pray. And that is what Jesus does. Do you remember we read in 1 Samuel 12 that Samuel said, Forbid it that I should sin against God and you by stopping to, uh, by ceasing to pray for you. Have you ever thought of that as part of your confession? My sin is that I would rather worry about you. I would rather judge you. I would rather uh, feel something for you than talk to God about you. That's my sin. I would rather say who I don't like and who I'm for than to pray about who I don't like and who I want advanced. So that is how Samuel, God's prophet, saw prayerlessness. Who are you praying for? Are you praying? That's 
why Jesus gives us a prayer. We are his disciples. We need help. And in Luke 11, we get a short version of a disciple's prayer that came from the Lord's mouth. And in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9, we get a longer version that we will say later in our prayers of the people. And Jesus teaches us to pray. He gives us, as it were, handrails that we need to hold on to so that we learn to pray. So we will be doing that as we go forward in the weeks this summer. Now, giving up on prayer has its consequences. Just like learning to pray gives us more and more a conviction and presence of God here in our lives. So what's the consequence of prayerlessness? Remember the 33 minors? El Pastor continued to lead them in prayer and to preach. And we have another recounting of what happened. With death staring them in the face, the men got real before God and each other. They met every day to eat a meager meal hear a short sermon, get on their knees and pray. And God, forgive me for the violence of my voice, one said. God, forgive me for abusing the temple of my body with drugs. They confessed to each other, I am sorry I raised my voice. I am sorry I did not help to get you water. Meanwhile, above the surface, a rescue effort commenced. A drill cut through and it began to provide the miners with food and with supplies and iPads. They knew they would eventually be rescued. That's when the confessing stopped. That's when the prayers stopped for most. For most, they were at their best at the worst of times. What about you? Will your story be like the miners, learning to pray in a crisis and yet forgetting it, letting go when things lighten up? Or do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be a disciple? call out to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, you're going to have to take charge of this. Take my hand and my mouth and my ear so that I know to use it and to hear you. Teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that as you are aware right now of what is on our mind and on our heart, and even our longings, and the restlessness that we feel, we ask that you would seal by your Holy Spirit a willingness to learn to pray. We ask this in your holy name. 
thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.